This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello there. What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> you have, you no, have idea. no idea. And we are back with another edition of Lauer After Hours with a very special guest, future Lauer Hall of Famer himself, David P. Sampson. Hey, everybody, real quick, everybody say hello to David. Uh, say your name and thank him for being here all at the same time. One, two, three. By the way, if that doesn't perfectly sum you guys up, then nothing does. <laughs> Give us time, David. Give us time. <laughs> yep. We're getting there. We're getting there. Every every episode gets better and better. We're we're eventually we'll no, we won't. We'll never be professionals at this, but uh in our dreams, we'll we'll get there one day. Well, um, you got the zoom info out with 30 seconds to spare, so I thought that was a positive. Well, yep, as a better, 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 uh, slightly before late than never, right? Well, we had to talk about you first, you know, we couldn't let you on right away. You got to get online to talk about me, so that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, David, my name is, uh, you can call me Crispy. That's my Twitter handle. Um, It's nice to meet you. We're going to go, if you don't mind, we're going to kind of go round robin style. um, And uh, I'm going to throw it to each person that's got a question um, for you, if that's okay with you. Bring it. I'm ready. All right. All right. Um, so before we get started, uh, I have to introduce uh, the one who is responsible for you being on the show, the one who got the, the big fish, landed our, our marlin, so to speak. Uh, that would be our, our wonderful uh, friend, our wonderful Wisconsinite, uh, Danielle. Um, Danielle, if you would like to take it away, uh, Danielle, David, David, Danielle, um, she's got feelings about you, David. I'm just going <laughs> to put it that way, okay? Well, Danielle, first of all, it's nice to meet you. It's very bizarre because I know that we've interacted on Twitter and yeah. the fact that you're from Wisconsin means that you're automatically my favorite person Aww. to Yay. start with because Wisconsin is my favorite state without question. So it's uh, it's nice to put a face to the, I can't, what is your handle? Yo, dar. Yo, D, bro. Yo, D, oh, I get it, Danielle Brooks. All right, it's all coming together now. <laughs> By the way, you just switched on my Zoom. Something just happened. 
everyone just switched spaces. That was weird. Okay. So, yo, Debro, I totally get it. Nice to meet you. I'm David. Thanks. Yes, it is so nice to finally meet you. And, of course, we had our bond over the best candy of all time for listeners. It is good in plenties and not as steak sauce mentioned them as bad in too many's. Not forgiving you for that. Um, so, David, of course, uh, Wisconsin is, of course, what I want to talk about because you went to UW-Madison. And I'm really curious if you have a good story from your college days. So I started off, uh, I went to high school in New York. I was born in Milwaukee and I moved to New York when my parents got divorced when I was four. So my mother moved me and my sister to New York. And, but I had to go back under the divorce agreement. I had to spend every vacation with my father who stayed in Milwaukee. So every time there was an off day from school, even a long weekend, my sister and I had to get on a plane. Back then, there was an airline called Grand Central Airlines, and then that became Republic, which, by the way, became Midwest Express. And so I was in Milwaukee all the time. And for the summer, I was in Milwaukee. My dad said, you're not going to hang out here. you got to go to camp. So I went to camp in Eagle River, Wisconsin, in northern Wisconsin. And I made a lot of great friends So when I was older, I wanted to go to college with them. And back then, many people from Milwaukee went to Madison. Where in Wisconsin are you, by the way? I'm about a half an hour north of Madison, right between Madison and the Dells. Got it. So to make a long story somewhat shorter, I was asked by my mother to not go to Wisconsin. She was a Wisconsin graduate. She was afraid that I would end up going to Wisconsin and never coming back to New York. And so she made a deal with me that if I didn't go to Wisconsin, they would buy me a car, which to me was the most incredible thing because I wanted a car and I couldn't afford it. And so I said, you know what? I will do it. You have a deal. So I went, I applied and went to Tufts University in Boston. And this was my first successful negotiation of my business career because my mother left a loophole. She didn't say I had to graduate from Tufts. She said I had to go to Tufts. So I went to Tufts freshman year, had a great time. She bought me a car. It was a Toyota. And I immediately applied to transfer to Wisconsin. Oh, my god! So I applied, I transferred, and I went to Wisconsin starting sophomore year. And my mother got completely outwitted, outlasted, and outplayed. I totally played her. And I had the best three years of my life at Madison. But I was a New Yorker, and... I spent three years basically in flip-flops. I wore a dangling ballerina earring. I had a cowboy hat and a bathrobe like Hawkeye for MASH. And I would be on Bascom Hill and I would go to class when the mood hit. And, uh, and the mood didn't hit me all that often. I had some great, great times. But here's a little known fact, and I'm not embarrassed to tell you, although it is embarrassing to say, I never went inside Camp Randall one time in three years. Not one time. I was the guy in the parking lot who didn't care about the game, but partied from 7 a.m. until kickoff and then through the game and then passed out in a pool of my own vomit by 4 o'clock, and that was the end of it. Sounds pretty on par for the rest of the UW classes. what What kind of car are we talking about real quick? Like the make, model, what do you remember about that car? I remember it was a 1987 Toyota Celica. And... Back then, totally different than now, 
back then manual cars were cheaper than automatic cars. So I, mine was a manual car. So I had to learn how to drive stick, which to this day is, I love stick shift cars. They're way better, but now it's the total opposite where now if to get a stick shift, it's way more expensive because no one teaches kids how to do it. And I ended up having a pretty big fight with my wife, the mother of my kids. And uh, I don't know why I needed that parenthetical actually. And uh, (laughs) you're good. good. I wanted my kids to learn how to drive stick shift cars because if they were going to get cars, I thought that was the best way to stop them from texting and driving was to make sure they had to drive stick. But I lost that battle. That is an incredible story. I will pass it on, but I do want to say that you have turned me into a total snob when it comes to sports business happenings. I have zero patience for people that try to tell me things. And I always refer back like, oh, that's like four nothing personals ago. Like you're behind the time. So thank you for turning me into a little bit more of an ass than I already was. (laughs) Well, well, by the way, it seems like I may not have needed that much help because (laughs) you're so awesome. But I will say this, that nothing personal started because there was no voice like mine out there in sports media. And because people talk a lot, but they really don't know anything because they've never done it. And I'm not smarter than anyone. I've just been in a room for 18 years that other people haven't been. And I have no interest in going to work for another team. So I'm willing to tell people exactly what's going on, what people are saying versus what they mean to say versus what they should have said. And most talking heads on TV either want to get back in the game so they don't say anything of consequence or they've never been in the game so they don't say anything of consequence. So that has been the niche that nothing personal is filled. And thanks to you guys, uh, CBS has, uh, the show has grown tremendously and don't tell CBS, but I'm a free agent in March. So we'll see what happens. Oh, nice. Nice. LAF Network, man. I can't wait to read about David Sampson renegotiating contracts for himself and all that good stuff. (laughs) Getting that Spotify money. Heck yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. Danielle, are you, are you okay? Did you, did, are you? uh, I mean, I could go on and on, but I will pass. All right. (laughs) I just, I want to, want to make sure because David, we've done a few of these now. I've never seen her or heard her this nervous before. I'm going to make her blush. I'm determined to. Don't be uh, nervous. I'm so normal guys. (laughs) Literally. I told her, I was like, he is going to be so incredibly nice to you. You have absolutely nothing to worry about. And there's Wilson. I just noticed uh, Wilson is right next to you. Oh, hey Wilson. So (laughs) Wilson and I have quarantined together and uh, he's actually my closest friend. which is both sad and amazing all at the same time. He and I have arguments, we talk, and uh, he he demands to be on every show. So he gets to be on every show. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm going to go down the list here, if you don't mind. Wait, Wilson wants to say one thing to you guys. Go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Wilson, you were up first. What's your question? Believe me, he's seen it all. He has no questions. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. All right, uh, Anthony, uh, you've got a baseball question. If you you are up, my friend. Hi, David. Anthony, um, at Stiano, fellow New Yorker, or I'm current. I'm not an ex like you are, but um, I have a question for you. Do you, what's your opinion on Sosa and McGuire? Do you think they really saved baseball? Or like, because of what they did in, the cascades of others cheating post 
did it sort of destroy baseball because the numbers that meant so much now don't have really any meaning? Well, it's interesting you say that because all numbers have meaning. It's just the amount of weight that you put to them. So when you, when you say that, you know, Barry Bonds had 72 home runs or McGuire had 70, those are numbers and you have to decide for yourself. If you ask Bud Selig, a fellow Wisconsinite, by the way, I've had more meetings with Bud Selig in Milwaukee than I have in New York. Uh, but if you, if you ask Bud, he would tell you that Henry Aaron is the home run champion in his mind. So the great thing about baseball numbers is everyone can decide what they believe. My view of Sosa McGuire is they, they did it wrong. And if they had admitted earlier, even in the recent documentary when Sosa still would not admit that he was doing steroids, but McGuire did, but too late, obviously, they made the mistake of not believing in the fans. And fans, as A-Rod has proven, and if he can do it, that means anyone can do it. Fans are looking for, for people who are willing to acknowledge their mistakes, own up to their mistakes. Some people call it being self-deprecating. So when I say things on the air, when I talk about the foibles I had, when you run a business for 18 years, you're not going to get it all right. There's no chance. As a matter of fact, I learned more from my failures than I did from my successes. And I don't mean that as any sort of amazingly deep statement. You really do learn when you go the wrong way. If you think about a maze, you only can get the right way when you hit a wall because you've gone the wrong way and you know to try a different direction. And Sosa McGuire just never got that. And they could have had a long-lasting relationship with baseball in a way that it just never materialized because of what happened after. I don't begrudge them for doing steroids because if you can get paid to, and you, and it's not violating the rules, so to speak, it's just sort of at that point <clears throat> violating the moral compass and maybe a few laws with how they got the stuff. But everyone in the game, when I got in in 99, we were all pretty aware that there were players doing steroids. I mean, if you spend time in a clubhouse and you see a player with a ton of back knee, you know, who all of a sudden comes off an off season having gained 30 pounds of muscle and hits 30 home runs instead of the 10 that he's supposed to hit, it's sort of not hard to figure out. Could I, so your spec, next question is probably, could I have done more? And the answer is, uh, I could have, but I believe that it would have, ruined my chances of trying to win as many games as possible because I was playing on a playing field where if not everybody plays by the same rules, then there's a disadvantage. And that always was a tough moral dilemma because I knew I was turning my back on watching Pudge, right? In 2003 with the Marlins, there's no secret that Pudge, he's never admitted to it, but in my opinion, I love Pudge and I still am in touch with him. But he was taking some sort of substances and you saw when he went to Detroit the next year and looked like, you know, he had lost half his body weight. And would I have stopped him during 03 and said, you know what, I'll give up a chance at a ring. You know what, I'll give up a chance to make the playoffs uh, because I don't want your joints to fall apart as you get older. I really didn't have the guts to do it back then. Okay. And just so you know, I wasn't rolling my eyes at you. I just really hate A-Roid. A-Rod is the rest of you call him. Listen, Sorry. But he is uh, a great example of someone who can be used and oh, yeah. by me, right? With the selling of the team, mm -hmm. I used him. He's very usable because he wants to be an owner so badly. He wants to be accepted into the club so badly that sometimes he defies rational behavior. Oh, yeah. But no, and he's a very calculating guy. Mm -hmm. So anything he does, there's a reason for it. Yeah, And, and yeah. I said as a Yankee fan who 
disliked every moment he was in my uniform, but that's a whole nother conversation. So thank you for your, your honesty and your opinion. Fantastic. Morgan, we have a, uh, uh, David, we have a fan, a super fan from uh, Australia. Um, I don't know if you have heard her or interacted with her on Twitter, but uh, Morgan, are you there? Sorry, I had to run outside because I'm an idiot who doesn't know time zones. <laughs> <laughs> Only 14 hours, um, that's easy. This is what I, we're dealing you, with, David. Hey, excuse <laughs> me. You put a fucking calendar together and it said 12 o'clock, not 11 o'clock. So no, our staff attorney corrected it, uh-oh. Jeff. I, I said, did you tag me, Jeff? I did. Oh, Jeff! Fuck. Do I need to be here for this, Morgan? Yes. No. I, yeah, I'll come back in ten minutes. Bye. <laughs> oh, she just dipped out on us. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Well, uh, moving on. Uh, steak sauce. Do you want to uh, do your follow up before Morgan actually does her uh, survivor question? Sure. This is a uh, steak sauce from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, David. How are I'm, you? Uh, very good, man. I'm a huge Survivor fan. Very disappointed you went out so soon. Um, I think we can all agree Tony's probably the best player in Survivor history. Who do you think is second best? And have you thought about going on another one like Big Brother or Amazing Race? So let me start at the end first. Uh, First of all, nice to meet you, Mr. Sauce. I would say that I would not go on any other show because for me, Survivor was the only show I ever wanted to go on uh, because I started watching it when it first started. Now, I don't know when you guys are posting this, but I can give you a little sneak preview. Uh, when, when are you posting this, by the way? Most likely question. Saturday. So just so you know, uh, this Wednesday, which would be last Wednesday for people downloading this on Saturday, which is, I feel like we're in inception. <clears throat> I have no idea what month <laughs> it is or what date. But the day after yesterday, there will be a nothing personal that will be survivor related. And there will be some special guests on the show that will be truly fun to watch if you're a Survivor fan. But I would not go on another show. And when I look at Tony, and, and I'm in touch with Tony, and we're all from season 28, pretty much all of us are in touch, which is pretty cool. And because uh, you have this commonality of experience that, that p- other people just don't understand. And it's not that you don't try to explain what happened on the island. It's just impossible to get people to be in that frame of mind to be seeing things through your eyes that you're going through. Even when I was there for only three days, that was three days on the island with the cameras rolling. But part of Survivor is the pregame where you're there for six days before they start filming. So I was, I was you know, away for quite a bit. And uh, to me, Tony was, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story that I've told, but maybe not on Lebitard. When I was in the pregame, I uh, was asked by the producers, judging by the time you spent with the cast, and by the way, it's in total silence. So you've never heard anyone talk. You're not allowed to talk. So for me, it was torture, the pregame, literally torture. (laughs) You may not talk. So Sarah Lucina and I were side by side. Our tents were next to each other. And we would whisper and communicate because we had met each other at casting finals in LA six months earlier. So I'd pretend to sneeze and she'd say, bless you. And she'd pretend to cough and I'd say, are you okay? Because we couldn't talk all day. And we got in trouble because they would guard the tents and we got separated like school kids. So I was asked by the producers, hey, is there one person that you've noticed who you would say has no chance to win the game? So of course I didn't say myself, which I 
in hindsight should have should have said. I said, yeah, you know that bald guy with the tattoo on his shoulder? That guy has zero chance to win this game. And that was my pregame impression of Tony. And he became the best player in history. For me, I think the second best player, I'm going to give it to Cochran over Boston Rob and Sandra because he had the ability uh, to manipulate in a way that, by the way, Boston Rob didn't, Parvati didn't, Sandra didn't. He manipulated in a far more um, touching way, right? And people have tried the geek game and not had it work. And he did it to perfection because he was genuine and not playing a part. And so many people go on Survivor and they get it wrong. They try to think they have to act like someone else when the reason you're cast on Survivor is to be yourself. And they say that to you. We cast you to be you. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. And by the way, that cost me, that got me out of the game because I became aggressive way too early in, in my season. And that was it. It was over before it started. I was upset not to see Cochran on this past season, the Tournament of Champions. It was, I guess, I'm sure they asked him. He just probably had other things to do. I don't know. Yeah, like having a job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. All right. So uh, I don't know if Morgan has rejoined us. Uh, let's see. I'm going to check with her real quick. I don't think no. she has. No, I'm saying right. I'll go next. Go for it. All righty. So, David, out of your running experience with the World uh, Challenge, where you did the seven continents in seven days, uh, tell me, like, what was that like as a runner? Did, was a lot of it, you know, adrenaline and kind of like a runner's high, or was it, you know, more of a miserable? I don't want to do this type of run where it's just all me like a mental game. So the way that started is that I started back in 2006 doing races, raising money for charity. So in 2006, I did the Ironman and raised 250 grand. And then I did a double marathon in 2012 and raised 600,000 for charity. And I wanted to raise more. So I needed to find something totally crazy to do. And I read about this race that I didn't think was possible, but apparently you had to run seven marathons and seven continents on seven days in a row. And I said, that's impossible. So I did some research and only like a hundred people have ever done it ever in the world. So I said, that's it. And I set a goal of a million dollars, ended up raising $1.2 million for charity. And, uh, the training, you train for it as though you're training for one marathon. And so you don't overtrain. And I can only tell you that I, uh, everybody who does it at one point, their body gives out. Everybody who does it at one point, their mind gives out. And the people who finish are those who can manage to not have both give out at the same time. And so I just found a way. You just, you get, you become on autopilot. You don't know what continent you're on. You just know that you, you run, you get on the plane, you go to bed. They wake you every hour and a half or two hours because you have to walk or else you'll get clots. So you can't, you know, sleep lying down for 12 straight hours. So you crave the plane ride so you can rest. You land in the next continent. You get off the plane. You literally run a marathon and then get right back on a plane. So it becomes one day. So for me, I don't look at it as seven marathons in seven days. To me, it was just one super long day. And uh, the feeling of finishing um, was remarkable because during day three and day four, I didn't think I would finish but after day seven, I could have run an eighth marathon on the eighth day. 
and uh, your body just somehow adjusts. But there's swelling. Jeff Conine had to keep his shoes on the last four continents because if he took them off, his feet were so swollen, he would never get his shoes on. Sarah ran a marathon. Sarah Lucina did it with me. She ran a marathon in bare feet um, because her feet were so swollen. People had swollen knees and blisters the size of baseballs, just crazy chafing, like raw, crazy chafing. So it was uh, an experience. But again, it's, it's what I've tried to do really my whole life is just try experiences that I know most people won't do, but everybody could. So it's not like I can never dunk. This is what I tell people. I'm 5'5", 130 pounds. I can't dunk. I can't do anything that, that requires any sort of skill, but I can do anything that just requires mental discipline. So on a normal day, how many miles are you usually running? So I'm on a program. I'm training right now. I haven't even, I actually have never articulated this. So now that I am, I guess it's going to be real. I'm training for a hundred mile run, which I've never done. And you have 30 hours to do a hundred miles and it seems impossible to me. So it's right up my alley. And so, you know, you just go do a couple of 25s, a couple of 30 mile runs, and then the next day do a 20 or a 25. But I've done back to back marathons, so I'm not overwhelmed by it. And it becomes a routine. So I do nothing personal. I run in the morning. I do CBS Sports HQ. Then I do nothing personal. Then I start preparing for the day. But I've lost a bunch of weight during quarantine because Wilson's the shittiest cook ever. But, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, you just get into that habit. So I, I love having a race on the calendar. And right now there's no races. They're all being canceled. But this is a small race in Florida uh, in December. So that's next. And uh, so today I did four. Yesterday I did 10. Tomorrow I'll do six. So it sort of changes each particular day. I've got a follow-up question to that. I, I've seen guys that run these ultra marathons, like stuffing their face with like pizza and like, you know, just super high caloric intake. What are you eating while running, if anything? So I have, uh, I did a 50 mile race last March in Antelope Canyon, which is basically 40 miles running in sand. And to train for it, I would go to the beach here in Miami and run on sand for hours on end. And it's brutal. It's horrible. I will never do that again. But in an ultra marathon, you're eating real food. So we had quesadillas, grilled cheese sandwiches, pizza, hamburgers, and you have to train your stomach for it. So as part of my training, I'll actually eat in the middle of a run because some food <clears throat> doesn't work. And you know it doesn't work when you have to pull on the side of the road, which I've done many a time. And uh, you just sort of learn what your body can handle. And I'm pretty lucky. I'm able to eat quite a bit of food so that's never been a problem. Uh, but but I, I would say pizza and quesadillas and grilled cheese and soup are my go-tos. And I love candy. I've had good and plenty during marathons. Um, Skittles, Swedish fish, uh, licorice, black licorice is not as good. I love black licorice. I love, love, love. But it's not perfect, the long strips. So I'll do red licorice strips with good and plenty. And uh, there's soda, there is tea. So you're really eating quite often because you're on your feet for, uh, you know, 15 hours to do a 50-mile run and 30 hours to do 100. Yeah, I was thinking oh. the, uh, one of the main factors has got to be the logistical, uh, uh, like the, 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 basically the strategy, like you can fold the pizza up, the quesadilla is sealed up, the grilled cheese is, is not going to fall apart. 
that's got to be a, a huge factor into what you you said soup though yeah how are you okay all right explain that one for me how are you no wait hey, wait, 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 wait wait before you say soup you said you eat black licorice <laughs> yes what is that and bro black licorice is disgusting i don't know how you do that and run after it's anyway. in my man it's during yeah, it's he's he's eating this while he's running Stupak. That's another that's two levels of torture that I never want to experience. Word up, bro. That's crazy. But continue. I mean to interrupt, but black man, I've never heard anybody eat black liquor. I thought that's bad in the store. It's crazy. All right. Doing a hundred mile run or eating black licorice? How about E doing them together? Mm. Winner. Yeah. So when I was, I used to do Ironman, like half Ironmans. I'm not as badass. Um, but I got on to Fig Newtons because I guess that was with the original Ironman. That was one of their main things because it's again, highly caloric cookie, I guess you would call it. And gas stations sell the perfect containers that you can fit in your pocket or shove in your shirt. It's a good tip. Do you have the Ironman tattoo? No, because I only did a half. Like this is my Michigan t-shirt. So I only, I only question. You do a full getting because you you torture yourself for a year, but then you're an Ironman for life. And I got the tattoo, and I love it. Awesome. All right. Uh, so next up, we've got Jeff. Uh, you have a question about movies and Stephen King. Um, well, I don't think I had a question about Stephen King. But, uh, hi, David. Um, hi, Jeff. Jeff. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Um, so I had a bit of just kind of a silly movie question for you. Um, if you could pick one, uh, extra role in a film going back and play that role, uh, what would it be? And like, by way of example, for me, I was thinking the guy that played piano in the Taco Bell and Demolition Man, but something along those lines, where are you going? You're asking me to <clears throat> choose a role in a movie that is not an actual role, but create a role? No, no, no. An actual role, but just like not a main role. Like, like I a, have I want to be. Background. I want to be George Went and Fletch. I want to be Fat <laughs> Sam good. on the beach. <laughs> hey, that's a good, that's, he, he knew exactly. He did not have to think about that question. He did not have to uh, ponder it in any way. He went straight for that role. David, be wrong. you have your Mr. Morgan ready? You're basically getting stoned all day. One minute there's shit, and the next minute there's no shit. And then all of a sudden there's shit. That's what I like. I'm in on that. Excellent. Thanks. Nailed the answer. Thank you very much. I, I, uh, I completely read the internet wrong. Um, I am, uh, it's the chair. It's Stugatz's chair that I'm sitting in. I'm going to blame it on that. Um, so, uh, Kevin from Boston. Hey, what's up, up next, David? Man? Hey, Kevin. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Uh, I uh, have the Stephen King question, and good choice by leaving Medford, Massachusetts, by the way. <laughs> I can tell. Um, I wanted to know, uh, what's your favorite Stephen King uh, adaptation, uh, movie-wise? It's hard for me to go against Misery, right? Just because of the performances, and I happen to love Kathy Bates, and I happen to love James Caan, and there's something very, um, put it this way, I dealt with the subject matter of misery through many years of therapy, 
right? So there, it, it sort of was an interesting topic for me. Not that I lived through anything like that. I only in my head did I. So I would, I have to put that at the top of the list because it was such a, uh, not not just a powerful movie, it's a scary, and I don't watch horror movies at all because I don't want to be scared. So misery is not scary. It's, um, it's horrifying. So I'm going to put that as the number one. Excellent. My, uh, I'm actually, uh, I live in Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, a lot of Stephen King films were shot here back in the eighties. My dad worked on a fire starter, Maximum Overdrive, which is my virtual background, as you can see. We um, the movie poster, uh, and he did uh, Cat's Eye and Silver Bullet uh, back in the day. So, um, yeah, uh, lots of lots of Stephen King history around these parts. New England boy, for sure. All right, so up next we've got. Let's see, Aaron, you have a question. David, how's it going? I'm Aaron from Memphis. Hey, Aaron, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Um, um, you guys are funny. I'm, I'm watching each of you, and I and if you're seeing what I'm seeing, it's it's funny. You guys are awesome. Like it's we're just here hanging out. I'm in. I wish I had a drink with me. <laughs> we'll wait well, for you. Go get one. Nah, I'm good. I well, have I, I was just wondering. Oh, sorry. Can I just tell you one funny thing before you ask a question? This uh, just reminded me. I'll be very quick. So I was in Montreal my first year in baseball, and Jim Beatty was a GM, former pitcher for the Yankees, and he would always have a water bottle with him. And it was freezing in Montreal during the winter. It's horrific. It's like 20 below zero. And we were out one night, and we come back, and the car is free, right? When you get in a car in Montreal in the dead of winter, it's freezing, like below zero. And I looked at his water bottle. I was like, Jim, how can your water bottle not be frozen? That's impossible. (laughs) He said, water? (laughs) Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Aaron, you're up. All right. I was wondering who is the most intimidating person or situation you've ever tried to negotiate with or something like that in a business meeting? So in 19, uh, when I was first starting after law school, I started this company and I was trying to deliver newspapers and I wanted to get them to Europe And in order to get them to Europe, they needed to get on the last flight out of Kennedy Airport in New York on Saturday nights to get the Sunday paper to Europe. And the last flight was an Air France flight. And I've not told this part of the story, but a negotiation that I needed to do, the way I've always said it before publicly, is that I looked for the last flight out of Kennedy and the papers went on that flight. It happened to be Air France flight 009. And then I move on to the rest of the story. But what I always leave out is that I needed to negotiate with a guy named Jean-Claude Baumgartin. I'll never forget him. And he was a upper level Air France executive who I managed to get a meeting with through sheer will, determination, and the stupidity of being young. And I walked in myself and I put on a, a, a suit and tie that I had worn in law school to moot court competitions. And I had to convince him to allow me not just to fly papers on his plane, which had not been done before, but I wanted to get free tickets to fly with the papers because if I had to pay to fly, 
it would have cut into not just profits, but it would have had additional startup capital required. And I didn't have a lot of money to start with. Like $20,000 was my entire budget to start a business. And so I walk in and he's speaking French and I was able to speak some French with him and he was so intimidating. And I was able to, during the course of one meeting, because that's all I got with him. And I knew that I'd have one shot at the apple and I didn't BS around. I went right to it. There was no small talk. And I had this inkling, even at that young age, that people are just busy and they just want to get to it. So it's not, how you doing? How's your family? Thanks for meeting me. It was, hi, I'm David. I need your help. I need tickets, 24 tickets a year round trip. And I need the ability to put cargo on your plane at a fraction of the cost. And uh, he ended up sending me to different people and we got a deal done. But that was the basis of how I lived my business world life and how I why I'm actually viewed the way I am as being so forward and so no nonsense to the point where some people misinterpret me and think I'm not a normal or a good guy. I'm just, I don't want to waste time. I, I never enjoy taking lunch meetings or dinner meetings because I can get done what needs to get done before the order's taken. And then once, why do I have to sit around for another 45 minutes or an hour when I could be doing something else? So many people want lunch meetings just so they can take up time during their day or dinner meetings so they can, you know, it's like eyewash. It's like people coming out for early BP and standing around just talking, right? It's just eyewash. So uh, that was the most intimidated I've ever been. And, but it proved to be the formation of the business person that I became. Well, I'm glad you, uh, you're efficient with your time in other parts of your life. So you have uh, the time to meet with a bunch of hardcore Levitard fans on a <laughs> podcast. So thank you very much. No, I appreciate that you uh, made the offer now. You tell us how much time Let's you keep got. going. I want to meet everyone on the call. All right. Barrett <laughs> is up next. Barrett, you've got a, a theater question, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So, David, I don't want everybody listening to this or to your content to think that you're just a baseball guy or, you know, a business guy. Um, I'm pretty well-rounded myself, and I love live theater. So I'm wondering if you could give me just, you know, a synopsis on the play you and your cousin wrote, Do I Do? So nice to meet you, Barrett. That was, uh, here's how that worked. I, I've always loved theater and Broadway and acting. And I was in some plays in high school and I just, I've, I've always loved it. And I was approached, I don't remember what year, by a, a community theater uh, director in Miami who said, hey, we're trying to raise money for charity. We're looking for celebrities to write a play and then it will be acted and we'll, we raise money for the theater. And that's how these community theaters, basically their budget is by raising money. So I said, you've got the right guy I'm in, but I have one condition. I'll only do it if you let me act in the play. And he looked at me and he said, we've never been asked that by anybody. Like, I don't even understand what you're saying. I said, here's what I'm saying. I'll write a play, but I'm writing myself as the lead. So <laughs> let me know. And he said, that would be amazing, of course. So I called up my cousin and he and I co-wrote a play. We knew exactly what it was going to be. It's called Do I Do? And we wrote it relatively quickly. It's a one-act play. It's 15 minutes. All of them are very short. And uh, two quick stories about it. It's about a... Uh, 
a man asking a woman to marry him. And as he's asking her to marry him, they both have a flash forward about what their life will be like. And so scene one is the proposal. Scene two is as newlyweds. Scene three is with a young child. Scene four is with becoming an empty nester. Scene five is in a nursing home. And then scene six is right back to the proposal. And they, and they both have this flash forward at the same time. And it's the identical flash forward. And it's not a great flash forward. And so they both agree at the end that, when they say, where were we? And he says, I was asking you a question. And she said, do I do? Do we say I do? And they both agreed no. <laughs> and um, so it was a little bit dark. And I didn't think twice about it. And the first rehearsal, I go in, and there's a bunch of professional actors who were cast in it, and then me. And so I walk in, and I got these stares from these professional actors, like, who are you? You're just supposed to be the one who wrote it and get help writing it and then stay away and see it when we perform it. And I walked in, I said, hey, I'll prove that I belong on this stage. And we had the rehearsals. And uh, when my kids saw it, they were mortified because it's not a pleasant play in terms of family life. And I end up kissing this very attractive actress who played my, my girlfriend. I wrote that in, of course, why wouldn't I? And, um, and it was, uh, it was a great experience. And that just continued my love of theater. And I've been lucky enough to do another play. And just recently, I did a reading for another play. I did a Zoom play, believe it or not, like this, where we performed a play by Zoom, uh, which was insane and really cool. So I, I appreciate that you asked about that. And uh, I love live theater. Well, so awesome. I guess to call us a troupe would be a bit over the top, but I have some friends who are really into doing community theater and I'm a part of that, you know, group here in Jacksonville. Would you be up for us putting on Do I Do? Oh God, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it. I'm not, but I'm not a no. I'm not a no, but I don't think that it's big enough. I think that, uh, but it's, I wouldn't say no to it because it's an interesting concept and it really translated well to the stage. Uh, and, uh, by the way, Levitard was a guest performer What during <laughs> that performance of that play that night. You had and a hippo in your flash forward? <laughs> he was so mortified and nervous and he really didn't have to do much. Like he just had to be what there. So he played himself. Um, I, it's funny, I'm trying to remember because it was a favor and, you know, off the air, we have, we're friendly and it's always been a very complicated situation. As you guys know, as fans of Levitard, it's something that he struggles with, something Mike Ryan struggles with, um, Stu Gatz, all of them with, with having me part of the Levitard sort of, um, airspace and, uh, it's just interesting. So he did it and he was nervous. He didn't come to, he came to one rehearsal and he did, he showed up on time and I think he ended up dating the lead star. I can't remember, but it was, uh, it was good. (laughs) That makes sense. Is that what you're saying, David? No, this was way before Valerie. 
this is this is this is like I'm. It was Valerie was born at the time, but it was uh, it was a while ago. Damn. Either that or the catering. Let y'all do him out there like that. <laughs> he said, oh, Valerie, she knows I love her. I do love man, her. Don't do my man, Dan. <laughs> man, David, right. to, to that sorry. point, uh, you know, I, I'm. Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm out here in in LA, and Jorge Sedano is on the radio normally, um, and he'll talk about his friend who married somebody 21 years younger than him, quote unquote. And, and like he's openly talking about Levitard all the time, but he never actually says it. It's actually pretty damn funny. By the way, Valerie is, That's I mean, I, I don't know that we talk about her in public ever, but she's amazing. She is just imagine. an incredible woman. Really, really nice. Dan's gotten a lot nicer uh, on air mm-hmm. since she came into his life, I feel like. Yeah. All right. So uh, up next, we have uh, Beep Count. What's your question for David? David, how are you doing? It is at Beep Count here on Twitter, coming to you uh, from Frisco, Texas, originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. How are you, Mr. Count? I'm very well, Mr. Sampson. Uh, so I've got a serious baseball question for you here. Um, how would you draft a complete baseball roster using only the animal kingdom? <laughs> I would just say, could you at least puff and pass? <laughs> um, That's for the Ron McGill episode. How would I draft? So names that are associated with animals? Well, no. Like uh, you would have like a, an orangutan as like your, your, your lefty reliever, right? Or you would have a giraffe at first base or a cheetah in center field. Um, I feel like this is a trap. It's no, no trap at all. Not at all. So the look asking, on David's face is so suspicious right now. <laughs> Listen, I, than, uh, I, you may win. That, that may be the craziest question I've ever been asked, is how would I draft a team made up of animals in the animal kingdom? Well, the first thing I would do, all right, here we go. I would make sure I would start with the lion, right? And the lion would be my captain. And he would be someone who would be the king of the, of the team so the ultimate captain for me would be a player like a Martin Prado, was probably the most ultimate captain I had in my career. Um, Rondell White would be an example. But you have to have the skill as well. So when, during, when Rondell White was really good, when Martin Prado um, was really good, he could be the lion, the pride. Then I would make sure that uh, there were some hyenas. And the hyenas are the, are the animals who sort of clear the way and they guard it and make sure that the kill can be eaten properly. And so they're, the hyenas are interesting because they're both loyal, but they're also in it for themselves at the same time. Like they've got to be fed and the lions know they have to be fed. So players, wait a minute, is this a setup? No, 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 you are. Oh, yes, however you want to go. Not, not at You're all. doing I, good. It, it, this so sounds, this I will throw amazing. in that I believe a hippo would make a great right fielder. And terrible, I got get on for it. But listen, they have the big mouth for those catches. And as Eric pointed out, they can run 19 miles an hour. They're going for it. Kind of jump. All right. So you need them behind the plate so they can block the plate, which you're not allowed to do anymore. When you say hippo, I think of that game, Hungry Hippo, which exactly. is the worst exactly. nightmare that you keep pounding that plastic thing. And I would pound <laughs> it until it would break because I hated that game so badly. It's like trouble, that ridiculous trouble noise. Trouble with the ball. Yeah. The, yeah. the dice cup. 
if I, I if I may for one second, if I may for one second, David, I think what you're taking as something you should be suspicious of, suspicious of is actually just utter stupidity on our part. Oh yeah. no, I'm good. Listen, I was answering yeah. until I was interrupted by a hippo in right field, which is funny. <laughs> I would say the hippo would be far better behind the plate because I agree that that would be a great thing. You just would throw it to the clown's mouth. But uh, I was more going for what their roles were in the jungle in terms of how you put a team together. Because in order to have a winning team, you have to have players who understand their role. And in the animal kingdom, that's by definition, these animals understand their role. And there's a pecking order to how you approach a kill. There's a pecking order even within a pride of lions as to who gets to eat first. And in baseball, when you, any team sport, when you have a misunderstanding about who's in charge, that's when you see on all these great shows, the ele- some big time elephants fighting. That's two alpha elephants fighting because one of them wants to prove to the other macho elephant that he's the one who's in charge of the pack of elephants. So that's how I was putting the team together. Also, I feel like an elephant would be pretty good with a bat because of the trunk thing and everything. So Very slow bat speed, though. Yes, absolutely. So that Morgan, I, I am, uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yes. All right. Hi, Morgan. Morgan. Australia. We're coming back to her with Hi, a survivor David. question. Um, Where I'm, in Australia I'm are you from? from? I'm from Melbourne. I love Melbourne. The greatest trip of my life was to Melbourne for the Melbourne Cup. Oh, how good is the Melbourne Cup? The I'm still in touch with people from Melbourne who I met on a random day at the races at the Melbourne Cup. And uh, it's the great, it, what a great sporting event. What a great city. We were there for three days and we, uh, we did a lot of stuff in three days in Melbourne. That's the awesome. horse race. I'm sorry. I yeah, should have the horse that. race. Sorry. It's called the race that stops the nation. It's a public holiday. We don't have to go to work. It's wow. run over 3,200 meters. Um, and yeah, it's on the first Tuesday of November. It's way bigger than the Kentucky Derby. Like it's not even close. It's not comparable. You dress up and it's, it's, it's literally, it, it, it's a Yankees-Red Sox game compared to a Liverpool-Man U game. The, that's the Melbourne Cup to the Kentucky Derby. Oh. Yeah, it's 100,000 people who know about racing once a year. And <laughs> love it. It's, so, but it's, a, it's an amazing spectacle. We won. We bet the race, Morgan. And we oh, won really? because we wanted to guarantee that we'd win. So we put money on every horse. <laughs> that's always a good way to win um, except when there's 24 runners that's expensive um, so I've got a million questions I'm a massive Survivor fan um, and season 28 was probably my favourite season of all um, who would you have in the bronze medal position as the third best player from Survivor Kageon so if you have Tony 1 uh, I would I would put uh you know, Spencer had a great game. Spencer's on the podium for me. Sarah's on the podium. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I was, I thought that Sarah would be. I would say those three. three. I think there's a personal component to that because I love those three people so much, but they really are good survivor players. Yeah. With, since a third of that cast have played again, is there anyone else from your cast that you thought could play again? 
you know, I, I sort of was surprised that more of us didn't play again. Uh, in that it's, we were such an interesting season that was reviewed so well. And some people view 28 as one of the top, you know, two or three seasons in all of Survivor. And there's some people who I don't think would play again, like Cliff Robinson. I don't know that he would play again. Uh, I can't tell you how funny it was. I knew who Cliff was the minute I saw him uh, when we were on our way to the airport. And I had never seen him before, but I looked, I said, that's Cliff Robinson. So I thought it was some sort of athlete season because I saw Garrett and I thought maybe that's an athlete who I just don't know. And I thought Tony could have been an athlete who I didn't know because of how they were built. We had no idea it was Brains Braun Beauty. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, there, there, a lot of good players actually on that season. Yeah, good players, a lot of interesting characters. Um, big fan of Jatia throwing for us on the fire. Um, also, I watched your appearance on um, The Survivor Specialist with Phil and Alexa early in the year and just wanted to give you some credit for predicting Sarah and Tony to go deep into the game. Um, were you disappointed by the way the fire tokens fizzled out towards the end? And how would you like to see them developed moving Was forward? Morgan, say it again because you're soft. Oh, sorry. Was I disappointed? Um, I what? Yeah. How the fire tokens fizzled out because you seem to be pretty um, positive in regards to them at the time and thinking that they would amount to something at the end and they really didn't. So the, the whole fire thing is, is interesting to me because you're taking people's game and at the end you're making it dependent on who gets to build a fire. Now I understand that's an important part of Survivor, but that's so ra <clears throat> random. And in the beginning of Survivor, there was a choice. The person who won the last immunity got to sort of decide who he or she would take with them. The way Wu decided, you know, to take Tony, which <laughs> was crazy both at the time and looking back on it. And fire's just so random. You know, if you hit it right, if, if you get a gust of wind at the wrong time, if for whatever reason the flint doesn't come off as well as it should. And I practiced before I went in Survivor. It's not as easy as you think to get the flint shavings and get the spark and build a fire. So I, don't, I would hate to play, you know, for Sarah, I feel terribly for her that she was there 39, 38 days or 30, it's the 38th day, I guess. And uh, when that happens, because the winner of that, and I'm watching it, I just knew once Sarah and Tony were doing fire, the winner of that was winning the $2 million period. So it, that was a $2 million fire. That seems like quite a fire. Um, and just going back to the animals, you mentioned lions and hyenas. Would Sophie be a lion or a hyena? <laughs> so Sophie uh, is neither. Uh, mm -hmm. She is actually what I would describe as a fox because she is, um, she's always lurking. She's out of sight. And yet you can't really do much without consulting the foxes, but you don't want to appear as though you have to consult them because then it would question the power you have in the jungle. Uh, but that's sort of her, that's her. And she's, she's terrific by the way. Yeah. Massive fan. And I thought that she played incredible until Tony got her. But yeah, thanks so much. I couldn't ask a million questions, but I'll shut up now. <laughs> Years David, old. real quick, I know it wasn't that long on the island. Hey, it's Asam here. How you doing? Hi, Sam. I'm what, did you, what did you eat 
after right when you got out right, right when you got eliminated from survivor we're all big into food over here so what happens after you get eliminated is you immediately there's a camera person waiting for you and you do an immediate interview that's the end interview that you see when people are talking about the fact they just got eliminated that is immediate uh then you go right into a medical tent and you get checked by a doctor then you go and get back to Ponderosa and you're in your you're literally just from the tribal council you're you're dirty you're angry you're sad I had in my mind that I can't believe for the rest of my life I'll be a first boot on survivor and uh I was starving I lost eight pounds in, in three days and uh but the first thing I did without question, some people eat first, but there was no chance I was eating first. The first thing I did is I took off every bit of clothing and I immediately showered. And, and then after the shower, uh, what they have is they've got a, uh, a whole um, buffet of food ready for you. And uh, so I had, a, I had French fries and I had a hamburger and I had two slices of pizza and I had a vodka, and uh, and then I had a vodka, and then <laughs> right for dessert, I think I remember having a vodka. Nice. Excellent. Fantastic. Excellent. Hey, uh, David, real quick, I, I know, look, man, you've given us uh, damn near an hour of your time. Um, we have some lightning questions, just like very quick yes or no uh, uh, questions, if you don't mind us asking, and and – we will let you go, and maybe someday you'll join us again if this wasn't too painful on your end. You guys are great. I think I, I want good luck with your podcast, and it's, it's great. So thank you. Yes, go ahead. I'm ready. Thank yes you. or no? All right. Gas station sushi, yes or no? No. Uh, all right, breaking here. some hearts. Hold Alrighty, on, you're dude. breaking some hearts, David. Aaron, okay. You can't just say gas station sushi. This is gourmet. Okay, Aaron, 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 we're trying to, we're trying to, inside of a gas station, you can't, hey, somebody mute, Aaron, somebody mute, okay, all right, David, pineapple on pizza, yes or no, pineapple on pizza, absolutely no, oh, God, oh, no, this is fun, David, <laughs> All right, everybody's logging off now. Okay, uh, David, how do you uh, how do you construct a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Type of bread, uh, type of jelly, type of peanut butter. Uh, I have uh, Skippy uh, original creamy peanut butter, never crunchy ever, on either rye bread or seeded bread of some sort. Rye bread, and, yes. And then either grape jelly, because that's the only jelly I would ever put on peanut butter and jelly. Okay. But right. more often than not, no jelly at all. And I do double peanut butter on each side. And that's what I do before I run, actually. Okay. Yes. Good to know. Good to know. Danielle, Danielle is enthusiastic about that answer. What is the best mustard? What's your favorite brand of mustard? Uh, Dijon. <laughs> I, swear uh, I, I like the pronunciation, David. Did you <laughs> did you learn that in Montreal? It's from his thumb. Yeah. No. <laughs> I learned. I no. I I uh, I am a mustard snob. Okay. And uh, I admit it. I admit it. I wear it proudly. Good man. Good man. What Great is your poupon. Great poupon. <laughs> what is your uh, favorite ballpark food? Peanuts. Okay. All right. Man of the people. I like it. 
All right, <laughs> Chicago versus New York pizza. New York. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I kind of that was on the list. I, I knew what the answer was going to be. Um, gas versus charcoal grill, or charcoal. pellet pellet smoke. Charcoal all the way. All right. As long as someone else is doing it for me. Excellent. <laughs> what is your favorite go-to fast food meal? Uh, under what's oh, it's a lightning round, so I can't ask questions. A uh, quarter pounder with treat with cheese, medium fries, and then a bottle of water. Excellent. I'll allow it. All right. You pee with cheese. And uh, one last on here. Uh, what is the vacation you've always dreamed of going on but haven't had a chance to do yet? I like. It's, it's kind of open ended. I know I said lightning round, but that you know, elaborate if you. Australia, want. New Zealand. Excellent. All right, hey, Morgan. No, not New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, Morgan has issues with the New Zealanders. I'm sorry, Morgan. Oh, they're just an awful oh. next door neighbor you don't want. Well, David. if I come back to Melbourne, then we'll hang out. And I used to do, by the way, a weekly radio show in Melbourne for many years on channel. What? It was like, I, I did a, uh, believe it or not, I did a radio show when I was there for the Melbourne Cup. And they liked it so much that they had me as a weekly guest. And it was... Oh, S- wasn't that on SAN? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. 11, 16, SAN. My boyfriend said that to me. Like, I'm sure... Yeah. He said, my boyfriend said, I'm sure Samson was on 1116. I was like, I don't remember. But oh, now I have to tell you he's right. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, David, uh, host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson, uh, we really appreciate your time. Seriously, this is ridiculous uh, that you would even agree to this in the first place. I don't know what you were thinking. It makes me think that you not being in the baseball uh, negotiation business is probably a good thing since you agreed to do this with no conditions, no rider contract, no nothing. I don't know why you said yes, but we are grateful for it. I'll tell you yes, billion. because I have no, I have no question that you are the reason that I can even have a show. And, uh, I don't take it for granted. I don't take loyalty for granted. I don't take you guys for granted ever. And if you ask for a favor and you, and I grant, and I said, of course. So uh, thank you guys for having me and good luck the rest of the way. And uh, we'll do this again one day, maybe. No doubt. Hey, you seen a movie running scared with Paul Walker? The running scare, yeah. I, my favorite running scare is with Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. I have not seen the other one. Yes. Well, hey, when you uh, check it out and just review it on the show for me one time, bro. I want to see what you think <laughs> of the plot twist. <laughs> a boy right. clock. No doubt, bro. <laughs> Thank you so oh, much. What you think about eight-foot rims for the WNBA? You think that'll help their ratings? Oh, my God. God, Pac. <laughs> my bad, bro. <laughs> it's a little Sue guys and everyone. <laughs> like, go ahead, bro. You're good. Hey, I'll say that for the next time. <laughs> You'll be the first question on the next episode. How about that? No doubt, bro. No doubt. Stay up, man. Good looking on the love, too, bro. We definitely appreciate it, man. And we love all the times you've been on the show, too. You got a lot of great stories, bro. I appreciate it. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe. Thanks so much, David. Take care, guys. Thank you, David. 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 Thank you,